The central question that modern societies have to address in immigration is, is it a privilege or is it a right to immigrate? Do nations grant the privilege to come, into, to come into their country on whatever grounds they want, whatever numbers they want, or is there a right to free movement? Do foreigners have a right to come here that we, even through our constitutional decision-making process, are not allowed to restrict? Now, obviously, most normal people would say, well, obviously, it's a privilege. That's the basis uh, the premise of our immigration law, and frankly, of any country's immigration law. Nonetheless, a substantial part of our leadership class believes that it is, in fact, a right that electorates are prohibited from excluding foreigners. Now, other than a handful of left-wingers and the Cato, their Cato Institute cabana boys, they're not allowed to really say that openly, um, but the means to bring it about is asylum. Asylum is an exception that is coming to swallow the general rule. Now, just as a little background, asylum is not the same as refugee resettlement. People, they're sort of similar things, but there's a fundamental conceptual difference. Refugees and people who qualify for asylum, asylees is sort of the ugly term, are judged by the same criteria. They're people who have been persecuted or they fear persecution based on various characteristics. The basic difference, though, is a refugee is someone that a national government has affirmatively chosen to bring from abroad. It is an exercise of sovereignty. It may be a bad one. Uh, I think there's a lot of problems with our so uh, refugee policy, but it is a legitimate exercise of national sovereignty. Asylum is when an illegal alien says, you have to let me in. You have to let me in. It is a subversion of sovereignty, an exception from sovereignty that is growing. And what it is, it's used by, it is a way for anti-borders politicians and activists and judges to essentially negate the will of the electorate. We have this very elaborate legal immigration framework. The, legal, the, the immigration law is second only to the tax law in its um, complexity. And yet, asylum is a way that people use to make an end run around our immigration system. In fact, the left essentially says that simply requesting asylum is a kind of automatic amnesty that turns illegal aliens into legal residents. Um, AOC, for instance, responded to um, one of the caravans, migrant caravans during the Trump administration that was trying to force its way across the border. She responded with a tweet that, you know, to cr criticism about it with a tweet saying, quote, asking to be considered a refugee and applying for status isn't a crime, unquote. She meant asylum, because she's getting it confused too, but that's no big surprise. Now that's true as far as it goes. If you're an illegal alien, you get to ask for asylum. But that request for asylum only happens because you're a lawbreaker 
In other words, it is a request, it is a way to avoid the consequences of your illegal activity. Um, there's something, there is something called, a, this is a little too wonky, but I'll, I have 15 minutes, so um, there's something called affirmative asylum claim, which is to say you're legally here. Say you're a student, country, the government in your home country is overthrown, your family's on the losing side, and you go to immigration and say, I'd like to ask for asylum. You're not an illegal alien, it's just that conditions have changed, you now are asking for asylum. But the vast majority of asylum claims are what are called defensive asylum claims. You're an illegal alien, you are in deportation proceedings, removal proceedings, they call them technically, and as a defense, you say, actually, I'm persecuted, and you read the card that some activist group gave you about how persecuted you are, and that's an attempt to avoid being um, removed. So, while asking for asylum is not, a, um, is not illegal, overwhelming majority of people asking for asylum are in fact illegal aliens. By definition, they're illegal aliens, and they stay illegal until somebody either gives them asylum or they're hustled out of the country and then they're not illegal aliens anymore. Now, none of this was foreseen when the asylum system we have now was invented. Last year was the 70th anniversary of the signing of the UN Refugee Treaty. Technically, it was called the Convention Relating to the Status of Refugees. It was signed in 1951. The whole, it was all in the context of the end of World War II and the beginning of the Cold War. And then in 1967, something called the Protocol on the Status of Refugees was signed, which applied it to the whole world, not just to Europe. It's the same thing. Interestingly, Harry Truman did not sign the original UN treaty specifically because of fears of restricting US sovereignty. It was only LBJ, among his many uh, lamentable um, actions, who signed and then the Democratic Senate ratified the protocol in the late 1960s because Asylum was then just a something for a handful of Russian ballerinas. It was a minor thing that people figured wasn't a big deal. What's the problem? It was, a, you know, it was obviously a way of um, opposing the Soviet Union because this was people who could get out, we would give asylum to, but it was considered a minor, uh, almost an asterisk policy. It was, uh, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Coming to America, the movie with um, Robin Williams's character defects. He's a, uh, he, he plays in a band for a circus from the Soviet Union that tours the United States. They're in New York, they go to Macy's and he defects. That's what asylum was, the occasional defector. That's not what it's about anymore. Uh, the USSR is gone. There's been massive population growth in the third world and cheap travel and communications have uh, made it much more practically possible to get here, or maybe more accurately to get to Mexico and then walk here. Um, and it's not just the United States where asylum is basically negating everything else we do on immigration, whether it's enforcement, legal immigration, essentially, like I said, it's the exception that's swallowing the rule. The, two, the 2015 Syrian refugee crisis, supposedly, that was about asylum. Those were people who went to Europe and said, we're asylum seekers, you have to let us stay. 
I don't know how many of you followed last fall, there was, or it was last year anyway, I forget it was in the fall or not, was the Belarus and Poland border. I don't know, have you followed that? Where the dictator of Belarus, Lukashenko, tried to use Kurdish so-called asylum seekers, pushing them over the border into Poland, at which point Poland would be stuck by EU asylum rules to let them all stay. Uh, and the EU managed to push that back, but that was, there was asylum there was being weaponized. It was a weapon of mass migration, if you will. It's the same thing that Italy, Italy faces with boatloads of people from Libya. I mean, they're actually from sub-Saharan Africa coming through Libya. Once they step foot on Lampedusa Island, which is a little Italian island off the coast, magically they turn into asylum seekers, and because of treaty commitments and legislation, they can't get rid of them. Same thing with uh, Greece. Uh, the island of Lesbos is right off the Turkish coast. It was one, it's one of the main places, again, where asylum seekers so-called go. Denmark just last week finally announced an agreement to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. It's basically the Remain in Rwanda program where they would uh, apply there. And since, you know, who the heck would want to go to Rwanda, they're trying to get out of places like Rwanda. The point is to be a deterrent. Uh, Britain was going to do the same kind of thing, was stopped by court rulings. They may still be able to do it. Australia has dealt with this issue. In fact, um, even Israel has a significant problem with that. And I'll plug our, um, my podcast. Today's, this episode, this week's episode, is an interview with somebody from the Israeli Immigration Policy Center talking about Israel's own challenges with border control, not, not terrorist issues, but regular immigration and asylum. They've got the same issues where asylum, where international commitments and, uh, and then the national laws that derive from that are used by basically what amount to anti-national elements within their own countries to uh, restrict the nation's own sovereignty. This isn't a problem for all the other people who've signed the refugee treaty. Uh, such paragons of democracy and human rights, such as Communist China, have signed the refugee treaty. Azerbaijan, Belarus, Somalia, Yemen, Turkmenistan, even Equatorial Guinea, which somehow has already come up twice in this conference uh, yesterday. Well, I'll bring it up again. They're all signatories to the Refugee Convention. Does anybody think their sovereignty is limited by these ridiculous international agreements? Of course it's not. Um, in the old days, these kind of multilateral aspirational uh, treaties could be seen as kind of harmless. In the 20s, there was something, I don't know how many of you studied IR, but in the 20s, there was something called the Kellogg-Briand Pact. It outlawed war. Just so you know, war is illegal. It was outlawed. One of the senators, uh, when it was brought up for ratification, uh, derided it as an international kiss. And in the 20s, especially for that kind of thing, okay, it was an international kiss, who cares? This is not like that anymore. Um, bad actors ignore these kind of agreements with no consequence, but they are used by post-national or anti-national elements in each, of these in each of the respective democratic countries as a weapon against the people of those countries being able to govern themselves. It is, a, it is essentially a, a loaded gun aimed at self-government. 
Now, what are solutions? Byron said we're talking about solutions just uh, quickly in the last couple minutes. There are some things you can do within the current framework to tighten up on asylum and prevent it from essentially swallowing the whole immigration system, as we're seeing at the southern border now, which is something driven by asylum policy. First thing that can be done, and again, this, this would require legislative change, is third country nationals at our borders, in other words, somebody who's not Mexican and not Canadian, doesn't even get to apply for asylum. Because the UN Refugee Treaty says that an illegal alien has to be considered for asylum so long as he comes directly from the country where he's supposedly being persecuted. But our law doesn't make, place that limitation now on that. We can, you know, there's no reason that we should allow anybody from Uzbekistan or Mauritania, let alone, um, you know, El Salvador or anywhere else, walk through Mexico and apply for asylum. The answer should be, sorry, you don't even get to apply. Maybe you deserve it, I don't know, it's, but it's not our business, you're in the wrong place. That would require Mexican, Mexico's cooperation because it would be kind of like the Remain in Mexico program, except uh, you know we need to pressure Mexico. They'll respond to our pressure. They did when the Trump administration pressured them. This administration has no interest in, not only are they pusillanimous and feckless, but they actually kind of agree with letting anybody into the United States. And so they're fine uh, letting people who've traveled through Mexico come in. Another change that, again, can be made within the current system we need to restrict the grounds for asylum. There are five grounds for asylum. You'd be persecuted based on race, religion, nationality, political opinion. Those are all pretty clear. And then the last one, membership in a particular social group. Well, what the hell does that mean? Uh, judge Alito, when he was still a judge before he became a justice, said basically any two, group, any two people can be a particular social group. And that's not an exaggeration because all kinds, I mean, look, imaginative anti-American lawyers or in this anti-European, anti-Israeli, whatever you want, they'll come up with all kinds of BS. You're a membership of a particular social group if you're whatever. I mean, it's, they've handicapped people or a particular social group. And so anybody from Pakistan, so Pakistani actually won asylum because he was handicapped. Oh, well, well, that's ridiculous. Um, that's that has been consistently expanding, needs to be restricted. Let me just finish by saying that that's all an attempt to work within the system that exists. Um, see, I was better at timing myself than, uh, than uh, anyone else. So uh, my final point is going to be that that is the things we can do within the existing system. Ultimately, we need to withdraw from the Refugee Convention. I mentioned this to a top advisor of President Trump when he was in office. He said, oh, the president will love that. Never went anywhere. I don't know if he never mentioned it or if it got Kushnered into you know, non-existence or what, but uh, when um, Governor DeSantis is sworn in as president, um, the, one of the first things uh, we need to do is withdraw from the Refugee Treaty so we can establish our own asylum policy and not have one imposed on us by a UN agreement that anti-sovereignty elements in our own country use as a way of dissolving American sovereignty.